You are listening to the Sensible Project Manager podcast. Today's topic, Project Management for Great Business Results with Francis Hook. Welcome to the Sensible Project Manager podcast at sensiblepm.com, where you get an insider's edge on practical project management. Now, here is your host, Mark Phillippe. Hi, welcome to the Sensible Project Manager podcast. My name is Mark Phillippe, and I am the Sensible Project Manager. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about how project management drives great business results. I have a special guest with me today. Uh, His name is Francis Hook. He is a project manager that turned businessman. Earlier this year, he left a comfortable job as a project manager, and he started his own company called Quality Project Delivery. It's based out of the UK. Now, this discussion uh, occurred a couple of days ago on Hangout number 22 as part of the Sensible Project Manager Hangout community. And we, in that hangout, we discussed uh, a case study that Francis had in his company. As part of this discussion, there are two things I want you to listen for. First of all, we talk about a business case in which he used project management to improve the business's bottom line. Secondly, I want you to look for the underlying concept that project management really does impact the bottom line of the company in which we work for as project managers. Another thing I want to mention prior to the listening to this recording, uh, again, I have to apologize for the sound quality. I am still struggling with trying to, to get this to work uh, on Google+. Uh, I think it's a bandwidth issue, but the recording um, has my voice actually cutting out a little bit. Francis sounded pretty good. But rather than having you miss this discussion, I thought it would be important for us to do that. And I promise you that I will work on the sound uh, in future times when I use the, the Hangout as part of the podcast. With that mentioned, let's get to the discussion in the PM Hangout number 22 with Francis Hook. And now, today's feature. Hi, welcome to the Sensible Project Manager Hangout. Uh, this is Hangout number 22. We are uh, just rolling right along. I'm enjoying having uh, lots of good time, a lot of the good discussions. Last week's was, if you didn't get a chance to hear that or watch that, that's you can see that at sensiblepm.com slash hangout, along with all the previous hangouts. Last week we talked, or last, actually it was two weeks ago, we talked to uh, Vicki James and Ron Rosenhead about project sponsorship. Also, just, just so you know, if you didn't want to watch the whole video, uh, I've also released that as a podcast on the Sensible Project Manager podcast. So if you, uh, you wanted to hear it there and you, you want to just carry it along on your, uh, your iPod or something like that, then you can just listen to the audio. Today, we are going to have a great discussion. I have a uh, I guess it's a second round uh, as a guest. I've got Francis Hook with me. Francis, we'll introduce you, and then we'll go to the topic. Uh, so, Francis, you, many of you, if you, I don't remember the exact number of the Hangout. It was the, the Hangout about what project management means to me with Francis and, and Robert Kelly. Francis got into a great rant as, a, as his sermon, so I don't know if we're going to repeat that today, but... Uh, <laughs> It was a great experience, and so uh, 
Francis had a suggested topic today, and so I said, yeah, let's, let's bring it back on. It was fun. So, Francis, why don't you introduce yourself and what you're all about? Hi, thanks, Mark, and, and hello to everybody. Um, my name's Francis Hook. Um, I'm the managing director of a company called Quality Project Delivery. Uh, I'm based just north of London in the United Kingdom. Um, I've recently launched a company, and I've just started working with uh, a series of clients. Um, what I do is I provide business and project management consultancy services to those customers. So I help them overcome challenges and I help them improve their businesses. Uh, I also work with public sector organizations and charities as well. Uh, I blend a mixture of business, basic business principles with project management knowledge and originally my background is as a project manager. Um, and what I'd like to do today is, is share with you a little bit about how I work so that hopefully you can take some tips away from that that you can apply in your own business or organization and, and hopefully get some benefit from it. Thanks. Thanks, Francis. Uh, just a couple questions before we get to the topic. How long were you a, a project manager? I worked on projects for about 10 years uh, in the financial services industry here in the UK. Um, I started in a relatively junior role and then worked my way up through the ranks uh, and properly project managed for the, pre for the last five years. Um, I worked on some smaller projects to start with. And then towards the end, I worked on some of the largest projects that were taking place in the Royal Bank of Scotland's investment bank here in London. Uh, I ran some global projects. Um, I looked after a total of 18 million pounds. So I guess what's that, about 25, 30 million US dollars uh, worth of budget. Uh, managed about uh, teams as large as uh, 100 people. Um, and I've worked in obviously some very politically complex environments dealing with some very different, difficult uh, stakeholders. So I think I've got a, a nice blend of experience to, to bring to the, the new company. Great. Thank you. Now let's get to the topic. The topic that we're going to, uh, let's see if I can set the stage for The topic is using project management tools to get great business results. And where this idea came in is, uh, and we'll turn right over to you in just a few minutes, uh, you and your company did a case study or, or you helped a client get their business going. And I have shared in the PM chat and I will also share in the Hangout notes that link to that case study. And you've published that on your website. The idea was that you have, you're using project management, helping that company really get on the road to profitability and decreasing costs, basically meeting their goals of being able to get to the next level. Although this is a business kind of a, uh, a case study, it's really important for us as project managers to understand that we uh, do have a great effect on the bottom line of a business. Uh, sometimes that might be just the fact that I'm delivering a project itself and within a budget, within time, there is value that comes out the end of that project. And that value is either going to help the bottom line, or if, you're, if it's not going to help the bottom line, uh, it's going to do something else that the business needs to have that will help that business. So as we, as project managers, deliver on our projects, that's an important thing. And, and we'll get to a little bit more of that discussion 
But I thought that this was a really important discussion because in this case, you use project management to help deliver to your customer, uh, walking them through those steps of uh, figuring out how they can um, add, increase their, their value or decrease their costs. And, and I'll let you go into the details, but that you use the project management methodologies or tools to be able to help you get through that step. Yeah, and so let's let's go ahead and Francis, let's let's start with just take us through a little bit about uh, your case study. And you mentioned just before we started, you actually have had another one as well that you might want to share. So let's mm-hmm. let's go uh, paint the picture of about what the what the case study was about and how you use project management during that. Sure. Thanks, Mark. I think that was a, a really great introduction to what I do and and how I do it. And as quite rightly pointed out, I have been working with a client recently. Uh, The client is a a Korean restaurant business. Uh, They've just started about six months ago, um, and they're in a a loss-making position, or they were in a loss-making position where they were spending more money than they were actually making. So they were loss-making, and we needed to turn that situation around, get the business first to break even, and then move it into profit so that it can become a, a successful business. So that was the challenge that was on the table. And the way that I worked with that company was we began by using some simple concepts like costs and revenue and solving solutions, uh, blended that then with some project management activities such as using prioritization matrices, uh, using work breakdown structures, project plans, and then some of the project execution techniques to ultimately deliver a great result. And I think the company has, has recently started moving into profit when I last spoke to them. And then, Mark, as you quite rightly said, I put up a a second case study uh, this morning, actually. Uh, I've been working with a a company that provides cleaning services. Um, They were in a position where they were uh, making a very modest profit, but they had some challenges and they wanted to grow the profitability of the company. So we used a similar technique of diagnosing the problems they were facing, exploring what our options could be to improve that then executing, and now they're making a, a larger profit margin. So really what we can spend the next uh, sort of 45, 50 minutes doing is discussing some of those case studies, and I'm more than happy to share the, the, the process that I go through, uh, that, I take my, that I use my company and take my clients through, because it might help to give some structure to other people that might be facing similar challenges elsewhere in the world, and they might think, well, what's the kind of logical way in which you could kind of tackle and overcome this problem? Great, that would be wonderful. Um, yeah, let's let's go ahead and let's dive in a little bit more into the case study and the methodologies you used, uh, and then I will be watching also PM Chat to to bring some of the, their comments in and maybe if they even have any questions. Okay, all right. Well, let's take the the Gangnam Korean restaurant. Uh, so Gangnam Restaurant was a, a small restaurant business. Um, they're in a, a town just north of London. They've recently started, so they had uh, some significant costs setting up the restaurant, hiring the staff, uh, buying the ingredients, uh, producing the food, advertising, and then obviously getting it out, distributing it out to their, their customers. So from a, if you think about the business in terms of its costs, the, the costs that Gangnam Restaurant were facing were significant. They were in a situation where they were also making very small amounts of revenue. So there was a little bit of money coming in. They were a new business that had a first you know, few customers. I was one of them, and this is ultimately how I ended up working with them. They were making a, a bit of revenue, 
but not enough to offset all of the costs that they had been facing. So as a result, they were a loss-making business. So the first thing that I did in terms of working with them was that I did some preparation tasks. I did some research on the industry, uh, I did some research on their competition, and I did some research on, on them as a business. And also I looked through the, the archives and looked at a couple of other uh, businesses I've worked with and thought about if there are any lessons that I can learn from, from those. So the first step was preparation. The second step was then to meet with the owner of the business, it was a lady called Young Hay, and run the second stage which is what I describe as diagnostics. So diagnostics is where we're trying to diagnose what is the problem that the, the company is facing. Now obviously I've given you a big hint about what it is already by describing the fact that the costs that the business were, were incurring were greater than the revenue that they were making. So what we did was we uh, looked at a picture first of all where we said it's really important to diagnose the problem correctly and then apply the correct solution to it because often you find people jump to conclusions about what the problem is that they're facing. Our recommendation is to think very carefully and not jump to any conclusions about what the problem is you're facing. And we go right back to business basics to figure out what the problem is. So in that situation, as I've described, the costs were, were significant, the revenue was small, and as a result, the company was loss-making. So we sat down, we used that picture, and I talked to Young Hay about her costs first of all. I said, well, you know, when you look at the cost side of your business, are you happy that your costs are as small as you can make them? You know, for example, um, are you buying, you know, are you paying the right amount of money for your ingredients? Are you paying the right amount of money in rent for the restaurant? All of those kind of basic questions. Uh, and then when we worked through what all her costs were, we reached a conclusion that we were happy that the cost side of the business was, you know, in good shape for the, the things that she was trying to do that the costs were appropriate. We then thought about the revenue side of the business and how much money was coming in. And as we started to explore that, it became clear that simply wasn't enough revenue coming in. Uh, the, things like the rent were a fixed cost. It didn't really matter whether there was one customer, ten customers, hundred customers came through the door. The rent was still the rent. It was still the same number. So if we could increase the revenue, we'd be on a, a, a good path for actually increasing the, taking the company from loss making through break even and into profit. So as we looked at that picture, it started to become clear that really the revenue side of the business was where we needed to focus our attention on, on driving the company into to profitability. So that was largely the, the diagnostic process complete. We, we felt confident that we needed to work on the, the revenue side of the business. So that was what we took from, from stage two, which was the revenue side. Okay, so let's, uh, let's, let's, let's stop for just a minute. So let's zero in a little bit on that analysis that you did. Um, what, what kind of project management tools and, uh, that you used during that effort, to, during that specific portion of the effort? Because the analysis that you do uh, did for that particular um, activity is very similar that I, from what I have my experiences in, in lots of different projects, uh, the, the same kind of analysis you might have as you're starting a project as well, understanding the requirements and so forth. Uh, yeah, so let's talk about that. I, th I think that's exactly right, and that's a, that's a great analogy to use. Uh, gathering requirements is, is quite similar to what we did. Um, uh, researching the company, the industry, and so forth, building up the, the kind of context 
um, that the project was operating in. Yes, I mean, there's, there's clear parallels there. But I think one of the, the most important ideas that, in hindsight, I wish I had appreciated at an earlier stage in my career was the importance of return on investment. So obviously, if you're going to spend some money on something, you always want to get a, a positive return on investment. So in other words, if I'm going to spend $10 on something, whatever it happens to be, I want to make at least $10 back uh, in terms of revenue, and as a result, I will be in, in, in positive, right? I'll be in a positive return on investment. You know, if I'm buying a stock for $10, I want that stock to be worth at least $10, you know, in the next month, the next year. Ideally, I want it to grow and be, be, be much higher. As a result, I will then make a positive return on investment. A project should be exactly the same as that. If a company is going to invest money in running a project, uh, that project has got to deliver benefit, and that benefit should be worth at least what the cost of the project is. Otherwise, the company's better off just leaving the money in the bank in the first place. You know, don't spend the money on the project. Find another alternative. Find another solution, because you're better off just leaving your call it a million dollars. You're better just leaving your million dollars in the the bank rather than running a project that delivers a negative return on investment and you've got an asset that instead of being worth at least a million dollars is now worth $900,000. Now, right, there, there are times um, we're talking about the value that, that a project would deliver, essentially what we're talking about, that mm. benefit. Sometimes um, those that value it can be measured in money and sometimes that value can be measured in benefit to the company in in a non-monetary way, um, so I, I completely agree with you that um, that if if it's not going to be able to return the kind of value, most of the time it, we're talking about it's going to return dollar. Um, but quite often, sometimes it, it might be that you're returning you're you're spending money on an asset that in turn will eventually uh, provide either a decreased cost to the business mm -hmm. um, or, or some way is going to provide value in which means when, which uh, it's valuable for the company to be able to execute that project. Well, I think um, it's an interesting point you make. Um, I partly agree with you that some things can't be measured, but I, I kind of disagree with you as well. Um, if you're running a project to save costs, for example, there's a direct financial benefit to running that project. And if we're going to spend, let's say, half a million dollars running a project that's only going to deliver $400,000 worth of savings, then it's better not to run that project in the first place because the company is $100,000 worse off as a result of having attempted to run that project. If, on the other hand, we run the project, it costs us half a million dollars, but it delivers $600,000 worth, worth of benefit, or cost saving, should I say, um, where the company is $100,000 better off as a result of running that project. So that would be a, a good project to run. It delivers a positive return on investment. I mean, maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the angle you were going for was, well, sometimes you run projects that maybe uh, deliver benefit like uh, more employee engagement or something that is, is harder to, to kind of put your finger on, something harder to measure? I guess that, yeah, you're right. That is probably a better way of saying it is most of the time a project can be measured in dollar value if you trace it back to the business, the business case. Um, 
sometimes it is a little tougher to get to to translate that into dollar. Mm. Uh, I, I would, in most cases, also I would say that all of that translation into the dollar. If you can't do that, it's probably not justifiable to have that project. Yeah, I, I would entirely agree with that last comment. If if you're struggling to get anywhere near putting a value on what your project is delivering, I think there's a really big question mark over the value of, of, of the project. Um, it depends on the level of granularity you want to go to. Some projects you'll be able to very precisely define the benefits, especially cost-saving projects. You'll be able to say that we've streamlined this project. Uh, as a result, we're now in a position where we can um, save you know, a headcount, and a headcount costs us $100,000 a year. Therefore, we can see a direct benefit. We can measure a direct benefit very easily. Um, the other thing is that benefits can uh, accrue over time, so there's some complications around the accounting. Again, it depends if you want to go down to the nth level of detail, kind of managing that, so be it, that's up to you. Um, but you should at least be able to say, this project is costing us X and it's going to deliver this much benefit Y as a result of X minus Y, there's a positive return investment. And I think being able to state that in, in very simple plain English has got to be a real fundamental and that's, that's exactly what I go back to with the, the first part of this consultancy process that I use. Great. I completely agree. Uh, okay, so now I sidetracked you. When, we, when you were going through uh, talking about uh, the case study, so let's let's get back to that. So you went through to get back to it. You went through, um, and Google's doing some funny things. Like that. <laughs> that's, that's all right. So we did, we did this diagnostic conversation, and we fi figured out that, that Gangnam Restaurant was was loss making, and that whilst the costs were uh, fairly tightly managed. Uh, we really felt that there was progress to be made on the revenue side of the business. And that kind of stacks up with your experience. You'd kind of think a new restaurant kind of opened up. Yes, it's going to have some big costs at the beginning, and they're not going to have very few customers. They probably need to go out there and find new customers. So um, that's where our, our diagnostic took us. And then the next stage, the third stage, was brainstorming. So also you'll remember this from, from project management days. Uh, there are many situations where we use brainstorming or kind of thought generation tools. Um, we used a, a simple brainstorming technique um, to sit down with members of the, the, the business, the gain and business, and put down on the table all our possible ideas for revenue generation. You know, we thought about how could we get more revenue from existing customers? How could we get more revenue from new customers? Um, we talked about within those two domains, we talked about with new customers, what kind of advertising might we need to undertake? If so, where could we find those customers? With our existing customers, we thought about do we have any data on those existing customers? Have we been recording where they are? Can we send them special offers? Um, we thought about the, the local area that the restaurant was in. Can we run any special events to try and attract new customers? So we really brainstormed all the possible ideas we could think of for, for revenue generation at that stage. Okay. Um, again, I'm going to ask the question, is, is there, were there any specific project management tools or methodologies you were using as you went through this step? I think brainstorming is often used in the project domain. Um, sometimes when projects face problems or challenges, 
people will think about, well, what are the possible options for overcoming those challenges? Uh, and brainstorming is often a way that, that get ideas out onto the table for, for consideration. I mean, I, I continually use brainstorming throughout the, the sort of project period of my career, um, and it's a, an equally important tool now. So I think brainstorming, I, I strongly stand behind as a really important tool and especially useful in the project domain on various occasions. Is a specific way in which you do brainstorming? Um, quite simply, just, uh, you, you know, kind of spider diagram um, where you start mm -hmm. with the, the, the problem that you're facing in the center or the, you know, the challenge you want to overcome and then just start branching out from there with all the various different ideas that you can think of. Um, I often like to think of Venn diagrams as well. So Venn diagrams is where you can imagine the overlapping circles and sort of think about, uh, for example, dividing the problem up into new customers and existing customers, uh, any overlaps between the two and what's the relationship between the two, um, and then thinking about how can we apply, which ideas apply to customers and which ideas apply specifically to existing customers. And just try and carve the problem up in different ways and pull all the ideas down onto the spider diagram, the brainstorm, join them up, show the relationships between them, and really try and get a good idea of all of the possible ideas that we have to improve the business or, or overcome the challenge. So when you were going through this, uh, did, you, um, did you sit down with your customer and actually show them those Venn diagrams, the, the spider diagrams, the, those types of things? Yeah, we worked on it together. Um, so we were sat actually in the restaurant uh, with a big sheet of, of paper and we, we started drawing out and talking and we got a couple of the other members of the team as well to come and sit with us. So we had a kind of group session of just chucking all of the ideas down on paper, uh, drawing up the relationships between them, um, dividing them up in, in sort of Venn diagram style to try and um, help sort of change the way that we were thinking and, and bring some new ideas onto the table. So we did that, and then also um, separately myself and Young Hay, the, the, the director of the business, uh, spent some time offline thinking ourselves, thinking if there are any extra ideas we could think up, any other points that we needed to consider. Um, so mixture of teamwork and a bit of individual work to try and come up with a, you know, the maximum possible portfolio of ideas. Great. Now, so now I'm I'm just curious. I'm, again, I'm asking some questions that that are sidelining us, are sidetracking us a little Sorry. bit. But uh, one of the questions I wanted. So, what was the what was the lady's name? Um, uh, Young Hay. Young Hay. Okay. So I I'm sure that Young Hay is not a project manager, and so here you're approaching uh, this analysis from a project manager's point of view. Um, did she understand? The tools that you were using was it a, was it easy to translate that information for her? To, was she all on board? Uh, was there education processes that, as you were using those tools? T take us through that. Mm. Yeah, there, there absolutely there is a, a client education process. Um, it, it most definitely varies from one client to the next. Um, somebody like Young Hay had had. Well, she's done businesses before. She hadn't really had any exposure to, to project people. Uh, on the other hand, I'm working with a, a new client now who's um, in the kind of emerging digital industry in, in the UK. Um, they've had a lot more exposure to more corporate styles of working, more project management terminology. So there's, there's less of a kind of a learning curve. 
But either way, for both clients, I think the real value comes from being able to break things down into simple stories, simple pictures, and, and simple explanations, and being able to talk about things like a business in terms of its costs, its revenue, and then the relationship to the amount of profit or loss it makes. Uh, being able to convey those ideas, those are generic, regardless of whether you're an expert in project management or not, being able to get those ideas across are just fundamental ideas, and that's as a consultant, that's that's one of the key aspects of my job. Great. Okay, so let's let's continue on as, as you went through the process. Sure. Um, so having got all of our brainstormed ideas, the next job was to prioritise them because, quite simply, some ideas were, were better than others. And when you're choosing your projects, again, you can sort of think about them in terms of revenue and costs and profits. So some ideas might cost... Uh, a little bit of money to implement, and they generate lots of revenue, so they're a very profitable idea to take forwards. Other ideas might cost us loads of money, but also they might generate loads of revenue. So the profit might be modest, but it might be a big project to run with some big overheads, but it might generate some big revenue. Um, other projects might uh, cost loads of money, but only deliver a small amount of revenue. So that wouldn't be a very good idea because we'd actually lose money on trying to run those kind of projects. So it's really, really important that we pick the best ideas, the ideas that we're going to generate the most revenue possible. Now, as I already mentioned, Young Hay was in a situation where she didn't have a whole lot of capital left. She was pumped all her money into the, the rent for the business, buying the ingredients, paying the staff, all that sort of stuff. So we weren't in a situation where we had loads of money we could throw at some expensive, sophisticated advertising. Whatever we did had to be done sort of fairly cheaply. And then obviously we were interested in the ideas that were going to generate the most revenue possible because that was the, the key thing that we were going to uh, do to sort of solve the problems of the business to drag it into profit. So the way that we worked was that we used a, pro a weighted prioritization matrix. So a prioritization matrix quite simply says, uh, on the rows, list down all of the possible solution options, or all of the options that you could possibly take forwards. And then going across your spreadsheet in the columns, you've then got to look at the criteria that you're assessing those ideas against. So you might look at the ideas in terms of how much do they cost to run, how much revenue do they generate? You know, do they improve the image of the business? Um, are they things that we'll enjoy working on? Whatever the criteria happens to be. So the way that we worked on that, so that's the prioritization matrix. And then I used the word weighted as well. So weighted prioritization matrix. The weighting implies that some things are more important than others. So, for example, revenue might be something that's more important than thinking about the image of the business. So it might be more important to us to generate revenue rather than worry quite how we come across as a result of running this particular project. So what we did is an exercise of comparing the, the different criteria and saying which ones are more important to us than others. And using a spreadsheet, you can work out you know, the relative importance of, of each of the different criteria. And then finally, you assess each of your solutions against your weighted criteria and see how well they score. Now, um, I haven't put any content up about specifically that process on my website yet, but anybody's obviously welcome to Google prioritization matrix, and you'll find a bunch of websites that talk all about that, that process. But it's the most logical way to think about what's important to you and then look at which solution options give you most of what's most important to you.
So does that, does that more? Does that make sense? What you said? Yeah. No. I, um, so that whole prioritization process. I try and relate that to um, what what the listeners might be considering as they think through their project um, on how how we use prioritization. Um, as we, I, I would think, even if I'm thinking about just even specific tasks as I'm working through, the prioritization that needs to be done as to which, what are the most important tasks to, to do. Um, mm. Well, I'll, I'll even take a step back from that. So um, if you're thinking about uh, a project, um, there might be multiple ways of fulfilling the need that that project is, is trying to do. So a typical one from uh, the world of technology and software is should we build our own software or should we buy in some software from a third-party supplier? And there'll be pros and cons to doing either of those two options. And using a prioritization matrix allows you to uh, very logically compare those two options and say which one is the better solution for us given what's important to us. So in that scenario, you might say, well, um, buying some software in is probably quite expensive, whereas building it ourselves could be cheaper. We might say that buying some software from a third-party supplier uh, might be a quicker way of solving the problem than building it ourselves. We might say that um, buying some third-party software might be more reliable than building it ourselves. And what we can do is then weigh it up and say, well, what's most important to us? Is, is cost more important to us than speed? Uh, is quality of the software more important to us than cost? And then work out which of those objectives are, or which of those criteria are most important to us. Then when we compare the third-party software against each of the criteria, we can come out with score. And then we can compare building the software ourselves against each of the criteria and come out with a score. And whichever of those two options produces the highest score, that's the one that you should go with. That's the, the, the logical answer, the best answer to, to go with. And that's what prioritization matrix matrices allow you to achieve. Craig, if you could do me a favor afterwards, if you can um, send me a link to anything specific as far as this prioritization um, to matrix and tools, that would be wonderful. And I'll yeah, of course you can, yeah. Great. It's, um, it's one of the tools that actually, I believe, and your, your listeners might correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe it came out of uh, the Lean Six Sigma movement, which obviously had its origins in Motorola um, and some methods of really perfecting ways of working. So it's one of those, those kind of logic tools from that domain. Great. Okay, so, uh, all right, take, keep, keep us going through this... Uh, no problem. You had. Okay. So we'd selected then our uh, top three options that we wanted to take forward. I think one of, them, if I remember correctly, one of them was a um, uh, an advertising uh, mail shot. I think that we wanted to do. Um, uh, I think another was a promotional event in the town, and I can't remember what the third option was. Um, but we'd either way, we'd, we'd selected those, and we'd, we'd thought about what was important to us weighed all of those things up, weighed the different options up, and those were the, the top three that had come out from about 40 or 50 different ideas we'd had. So those are the ones that we we're going to take forwards. And the next step was to use a work breakdown structure. Now, work breakdown structure, or WBS, is something that you know I think most, most people in the, the project domain will be uh, aware of, if not kind of intimately familiar with. Um, work breakdown structure basically says, take a, an activity, 
and break it down into its constituent parts in a hierarchical fashion to find out all of the individual tasks that need to be undertaken to deliver that, that project or, or that task. Um, so we use the work breakdown structure to look at the different activities, the different solutions, and break them down into their constituent parts. So for example, with the, the advertising mail shop, what we did was we broke that down into um, designing the advertising mail shop. Uh, we broke it down into uh, identifying the people or the areas of the town that we wanted to send the mail shop to. Uh, we broke down into identifying somebody who could go and take the leaflets around and the different doors, um, you know, and a bunch of other tasks. So by going through that exercise, we were able to identify all of the things that needed to be carried out to deliver each of those different solutions. And I guess the, um, the, the kind of more or less or the, the reason why you go to the trouble of doing a work breakdown structure is the old saying, the devil is in the detail. And what you're trying to do with a work breakdown structure is figure out all of those individual constituent parts and identify everything so that you can work out whether it continues to be a good idea to actually implement that solution or not once you've looked at all of the detail. So I agree. Um, that uh, WBS, uh, using that as a tool, I, I, I don't know how a project manager cannot, cannot um, use anything more basic than that. But you your point to the fact that the devil's in the details is absolutely true. If you don't go through that step of, of uh, breaking down um, your project, the, the analysis, or whatever you're, you're attacking, and getting it down through that organized way of going through the analysis of breaking down what, what you have in front of you, uh, you're going to le lose something. You're going to forget something. So uh, I agree, WBS is uh, in a invaluable tool as you go through that process. Mm. Brilliant. Okay, so that was the, the fifth step. And the sixth step was planning. So we took the output from the WBS, the work breakdown structure, and then we put it into a Gantt chart format. So we worked out the sequencing, the order of the tasks in which they need to be carried out. We worked out the amount of time that we needed to undertake the various tasks. And we looked at the dependencies between the tasks in order to understand what could be completed by when and where it was most efficient to uh, align our resources. And through that activity, we really mapped out our journey from A, our starting point today, through to B, completing the, the project. In this example I've been talking about, it was the advertising mail shop. Um, and by going through that process of planning, we were able to make sure that we'd correctly understood all of the activities that need to be carried out, we understood how much cost would be associated with, with delivering the project, and we could check that it still provided, we, we were still confident it would provide good value for money, provide a good return on investment. And everybody in the team was able to look at it and understand all of the activities involved with delivering this particular solution and then get everybody's buy-in to, to working on it. So really, that was the, uh, that was the planning step. Okay. Was there, was, as you went through the planning, uh, I'm sorry, you're probably going to get next into the decision uh, as to how you're going to attack these. And, and I guess I'll let you go through that first, because I think my question is really related to that, that step. <laughs> no worries. So we had, um, we had uh, basically three little plans describing the uh, activities that were going to be executed. So uh, having had the plan in place, getting everybody on board with that, the next stage then was start executing 
those plans. So that's our, our stage number seven. So that's where we mobilize the people that we have at our disposal to start executing the tasks that need to be undertaken to actually deliver the project. Okay, so now, now, now this does go to the question I have. How did you decide, or how, how did you get to the point where it was just plain obvious uh, what pieces of the plan to execute? How, you know, when you, when you got to the point where you said, okay, these are the things that are possibilities, how did you get that decision process made uh, to say, this is what we're going to execute on? Can I take you back a wee step? So you said um, decide which parts of the plan you're going to execute. Do, do you mean as in which, like, you know, advertising mail shot or promotional event or? Yes, I think that that's, that's I, I, you said it better. Um, it's not really the, the part of the plan to execute. It's, as you're planning, you probably went through the, the phase of trying to figure out, all right, what is valuable to the business to, to really execute on. Um, and during that time, how did you get to the, the decision as to here's the, here's the valuable things that we should execute on? Okay, so that was when I was talking about the prioritization matrix, what we did was we assessed, I think we came up with 40 or 50 different possible ideas, advertising mail shot and you know promotional event were two of those 40 or 50 ideas. And when we put all of those 40, 50 ideas through the prioritization matrix, we got a score for every single one of them. And then the ones that had the largest, the highest score were the ones that we decided to take forwards to do the work breakdown structure on, put into a plan, and then start to execute. Okay, so I think I'm just to drill down a little bit more, uh, I guess what I'm trying to communicate is that there, so if you had 50 different things that are possibilities, um, you had to pick certain ones. You couldn't, and you I get the fact that you had picked the, high, the most important ones, but there's, there's a line in which you say, I, I just can't, we, we can only take this amount. Um, otherwise, yeah. we're just gonna we're gonna get over our head, and, and we're just gonna be spinning on trying to execute too many things. Was mm-hmm. there was there a, a line in which you said um, this is the value that we're trying to drive, um, and so we're only gonna execute on these top five or these top three? Mm-hmm. And how was that decision process made? Yeah, so that's actually that's that's a very good question. Um, so there are con- you're absolutely right. There are constraints around how much stuff we could do, how many solutions we could we could run. Um, not least budget, the amount of people that we had at our disposal, and actually keeping the business still running, being able to serve the existing customers who were coming in through the door on a day-to-day basis. Um, so with that in mind, we also plugged in, we, we looked at the um, list of solution options and we thought, what is the, if you like, the portfolio of solutions that we want to take forward and execute, or the portfolio of projects that we want to take forward and execute? So, Young Hay and I had a bit of a discussion about which top two or three options should we take forwards, and we mentally checked: have we got enough people at our disposal to do this? Do we think this is a good idea? So, at the end of the part, of the, the sort of end of the prioritization process was saying, you know, are we happy that these? Was three ideas we decided on. Are we happy that these three ideas can be taken forwards? That we've got enough resource to execute them. That we're kind of confident that they can be delivered. Um, so I think it was probably that point to answer your question. I think it was probably that point at the end of the prioritization matrix where we said, these are the three we're going to take forwards. Are we happy? We've we've got everything in place to be able to deliver them. 
Perfect. That's exactly what I was looking for. Um, whether uh, you know, I can think about the, the parallel to this in a in a project or in a business where they're looking at a number of projects and they and they're going through the maybe it's the PMO that is trying to prioritize uh, mm. projects that they're going to execute. You you have to look at the resources that you have available for you. You can't take on too many, otherwise you're just going to spread your resources so thin you don't get anything done. Mm. Um, so that's I one angle. I highly agree with that point, actually. I mean, I think that's, in fact, that point I think is worth underlining because there were many times in the past where I saw projects that would be run, not just at my company, when I'd go and talk to friends and, and hear about it at other companies, uh, where projects would be run, uh, they'd be kicked off in January or February when there was lots of budget suddenly available, uh, they'd run through the course of the year, and then all of a sudden it would get to September, October, and then uh, it would be time to think about closing down the budgets for the end of the year. And these projects that got kind of halfway through uh, the process of or halfway through their life cycle all of a sudden got cut and so you had the situation where all of this money was being spent on projects that delivered nothing and if you think about that from a, a kind of a business perspective you got a big old slice of cost you got nothing on the benefit side, barely nothing on the benefit side and then you got loads of uh, the net result is that it's a massively loss-making project you'd be far better not running that pro that additional project in the first place and just focusing on a smaller number of projects that you could be confident you could see through the end of the year without having to cut, without having to disrupt and carry them rolling into the next year. Perfect. And, and, and to take that even further, um, if you think about it from an agile point of view too, uh, the concept behind, one of the concepts behind agile is let's get as much um, value to the customer in small, they're smaller pieces of value in shorter periods of time so that if we can, they can real, begin realizing value sooner. Mm. Um, and I, I suspect as you were going through this process, you as you went through that analysis of what, what value are we going to begin, we're certainly going to start with our highest priority ones, um, but it's also sometimes as we think about that, uh, from a project management point of view is sometimes if that that value is going to take two years to be realized but I can deliver a shorter uh, even, maybe even a less value item um, in two months that might be uh, a higher importance for us to, to work on mm. and yeah. I, I imagine you had had some of those kinds of discussions as you were you were working with this this uh, your client yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I think um, back in my old world, um, in, in corporate land, yeah, I mean, what you described is very much the job of program management to kind of think about what benefits are going to be realized when through the various projects that are being run and does that overall program of projects um, give us the kind of profile of benefits and the, uh, the, the associated with the costs and, and so forth and, and make sure all that part of business works. Um, we were doing that on a much smaller scale. I mean, as you can see from this, I mean, it's a very, very kind of modest example we've been talking about, but the same principles hold true. Um, so, sure. yes, there was... Yeah, well, uh... I, I keep on sidelighting us, sorry. That's right. But, uh, but I also want to translate this into at 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 the project level. Sometimes, um, rather than which project we should execute, um, if we think about it from a scope point of view, as we're putting together a scope document, if you uh, 
are if you're choosing the scope that is going to uh, provide the highest value if, based on your resources, you might have to remove scope uh, in your projects. Uh, working, of course, with with the sponsors or to make sure that we're delivering in a reasonable time frame and getting the highest value. Mm. So, absolutely. I, again, I, I would like to underline that point because it comes back to thinking about what is the cost of us undertaking this activity versus what is the benefit that comes out and what's the net result. And if people can just really keep that idea in their head, whenever they're undertaking project work, they'll always be working in the best interest of the business, of the customer. I mean, for example, me as a, a consultant, I'm very, very conscious that I am a cost to my client. So for that reason, I always want to make sure that I deliver more benefit to my client than I ever cost them. If I do that, I've done a great job because my client has been better off spending the time and money working with me than not. Absolutely. Whereas if I'm just a, a situation where I'm charging them stacks of money and I'm not delivering very much, the client is better off just not getting involved with me in the first place. That's right. Perfect. Okay, so now I'm, I'm done sidelining us with that. Let's, let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's move forward. That, uh, those were the points that I thought were really interesting. Good. Okay, so then we're on to, I think we touched on execution. So obviously as, as, as one starts to execute a project plan, uh, you hope that if you've done all the right preparation steps, the plan executes relatively smoothly. Um, but, you know, we live in the real world and things can go wrong from time to time or issues pop up or, you know, especially in corporate land, decisions get made above our head, outside of our control, that then get cascaded down to us to, to implement. It might be a change of strategy. Um, it might be some new budget cuts, you know, whatever it happens to be. So during the execution phase, we have to think about monitoring and controlling our activities and responding to any of these, uh, any of these changes that, that occur. So that's just the kind of classic project management job of monitoring the tasks, ticking them off against the project plan as they're being carried out, uh, talking to the people who are executing the tasks, making sure that they're doing the work and also identifying any issues, or sorry, any risks or any new issues that may be arising at that point in time. Now, obviously, as you move through the execution phase, you're learning more about the, the problem or the, the activity you're undertaking than you ever knew before. So it's entirely kind of to be expected that new things will arise because you're learning more. You know, back when you were making decisions about prioritization, you didn't know as much a month ago about whatever you're doing as you do now. So, you know, project managers shouldn't always be blamed when new things happen or, or situations arise because quite simply no one knew. It's always easy to be smart with the benefit of hindsight. Um, but uh, we need to monitor and control to make sure we can manage new events that occur or new pieces of understanding that, that, that come to light. Um, so really the process of monitoring and controlling during the execution phase is, is what we did here. Great. And, and were there things that you had to reset as you were monitoring and controlling? Uh, yeah, there, there was a couple of things. I mean, we one of the, the activities that they wanted to undertake was a, a promotional event in the town. Um, it turns out that you actually need some special licenses to be able to undertake that from our um, uh, council. I don't know what you might call it in the U.S. Um, but the, the basically the, gov the, the local government. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, th those kind of problems that we, we simply didn't know 
existed in the, for, for, the, for the particular activity we wanted to do, we were quite surprised to find we needed a license to be able to do it. So, you know, that's, a, that's an example of when, when a circumstance arose that we hadn't foreseen, and obviously we then had to, to kind of adapt and, and work around it. Okay, great. And then uh, are probably getting to the, the, the final conclusion of your, your step. Yeah, quite right. So step eight is then, then obviously success. So all of this effort is all about delivering some kind of benefit. Now, in the case of Yang Hei and the Korean restaurant, it was all about increasing revenue. Uh, so we went through one of the, the most effective activities that we undertook was some advertising. Uh, there's a unique selling point with this Korean food that it's very healthy. Um, and we were in a position where there were a number of people in the town, particular areas in the town, that we thought this product would appeal to. They'd probably want the convenience and the speed of takeaway food, but they probably wouldn't want the calories that are normally associated with you know, a big greasy Indian meal or a Chinese meal. Korean was a great alternative because it was just as tasty, but it had about half the calories. So we targeted our advertising, made sure that this point was really spelled out clearly as a, a key differentiating factor. Uh, and then we mail shotted a particular area of the town that we thought would contain more health conscious people. And as a result, when we did the mail shot, that then led to an increase in business. So we actually got our benefit, which was a, an increase in revenue, and some of those new customers stayed and became you know, existing customers. A few of them dropped by the wayside, didn't come back again, but the, the customer retention was, was really good. So through undertaking this activity, we built uh, a new set of customers that we hadn't had before, and we're then getting, obviously, regular, reasonably regular revenue from each of those customers uh, over time. So that was the benefit and ultimately that's, that's helped uh, the Gangnam restaurant uh, move through about, when I last spoke to them they'd, they'd kind of just about come through break even, they were starting to uh, just scrape into a little bit of profit. Um, so they've got other activities that are in train but through executing that project we generated the greater revenue that we needed. The cost was pretty minimal given what we were actually doing um, and as a result we've, we've helped to make the business more profitable. Great. So we have just just a few more few minutes left. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for. I think that thinking about um, taking a case study and thinking about what we do on a daily base basis, analyzing a case study like this, uh, I think that's very helpful and valuable. Um, are there any last minute? Uh, uh, I guess the lessons learned, things that you think that maybe highlight the the most important parts of of you, this experience that you had uh, for project managers? What, what's the mm -hmm. most important things that project managers can gain from this experience? I think the most important point is remembering that model of costs and revenue and profit. And I think whatever activities are being undertaken in a project, they have a certain cost associated with them. You know, if you're undertaking a piece of analysis, you're paid for by the company. There is a cost, your salary, you know, the insurance has to go with that, all the rest of it, there's a cost to undertaking that activity. Now, by you undertaking that activity, there should always be a benefit. And from the company's perspective, that benefit should be greater than whatever it's costing. And if that's the case, if that's true, then it's a profitable, it's a good activity to undertake. There's a positive return on investment for it. So that applies at a micro level with an individual. It also applies at a much larger level for the project as a whole. And even if you zoom out again, for the overall company to be successful, there are a certain amount of costs, 
It's got a certain amount of money coming in, the revenue, and as long as the revenue is greater than the costs, then the company will continue to exist and continue to be profitable. If that goes wrong, if the costs become too great or the revenue becomes too small, we're in a situation where the company will stop being profitable, it'll move through break-even, and then move into loss-making. And if that situation happens, then you're, you're in trouble. The way that we can avoid that is by thinking about all of the small, even at a micro level, for each individual, are you doing things that are profitable, that are helping the company to, to make money? Great. I, you know, one of the, when you made this suggestion um, to me about this topic, uh, one of the reasons why I thought it would be a great one is sometimes as project managers, we get tied into just thinking about, with our blinders on, just thinking about mm. our project. Um, and sometimes we, we lose the, the fact that this project is delivering a value, and if it wasn't for that value we're delivering, they don't need us, right? Mm. Um, and, and as we execute our project in, a, in an efficient way, uh, in a sensible way, um, then we're able to be able to d deliver value, which does provide value to the bottom line. Absolutely, and, yeah. and as our projects are, are going through, it is our responsibilities as project managers to make sure that not just that we're meeting our, met, our, our goals for the metrics purposes, but so that we are driving good value to the customer. And, mm. and, and our customer might be just our company, which is providing that a good ROI on what we're delivering. And what we do as project managers does make a difference to the company's bottom line. And uh, that, that helps helps me keep going when I wake up in the morning and I say, I've, I've got to go do a project. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, Francis, thank you so much. Uh, I'm almost sorry we didn't get to another rant for you, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, if you, I'll tell you what. If you set up a, another hangout and find somebody who's busy doing a project uh, where they can't articulate what the benefits are, I'm more than happy to have a rant at them about return on investment. <laughs> okay, great. Return on investment. That might be a great topic in the future, so I'll reach out when we get to that. <laughs> That's perfect. And those that did miss the rant from... Uh, from before, uh, look up in the the uh, archives at sensiblepm.com slash hangout. You'll see uh, myself, Francis, and and Robert uh, Kelly as we went through what's what is important, uh, what project management means to me. And you'll see uh, Francis in there. So, <laughs> Francis, so thank you so much. And again, uh, I encourage all project managers to think about um, the the value that you you as a project manager are delivering for your company and as you run your projects efficiently you will be valuable to your company so with that I we're going to sign off this has been this this 22nd uh, PM hangout and uh, we'll keep on going thanks a lot and thanks to the PM chat well I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Francis Hook what a great great discussion I wanted to thank Francis again for joining me for that discussion on the Sensible PM Hangout. If you enjoyed that discussion with Francis, you can listen to him again. Caesar Bade has a uh, podcast called PM for the Masses, and Caesar uh, just recently interviewed Francis on episode 22 to talk to him about his journey from 
being a project manager to being a businessman. A great interview, and uh, Caesar, thank you very much for that, and I'm, I'm glad that uh, Francis had that uh, discussion with him as well. I learned a lot from that discussion. I'd like to invite you to join the Sensible Project Manager Hangout community on Google+. I'm loving, loving my time on uh, Google+. We have a great community there talking a little bit about project management, and every week we have a PM Hangout. And those that I think that are important for us to bring to the podcast, I will go ahead and, and continue to share those with you here on the podcast. But please come join the community, and you can even participate on, this, on future Hangouts. I'd like to ask a couple of things. Uh, first of all, if you would, wouldn't mind coming to the uh, sensiblepm.com and leave me a ve- voice message. Tell me what you think about uh, the podcast and anything else that you'd like. Maybe share your thoughts about future podcast topics. Uh, all you have to do is select the orange tab that's on the right-hand side of the, of the sensiblepm.com and uh, just leave me a voice message. If you don't want to do that, then uh, drop me a, an email at podcast at sensiblepm.com. One more thing. If you wouldn't mind, leave a comment about what you think, different ways in which you think project management impacts the bottom line of a business. Let's keep this discussion going. Now remember, the Sensible Project Manager always looks for practical ways to lead a project to success. You've been listening to the Sensible Project Manager, Mark Phillippe, on the Sensible Project Manager podcast. To learn more about practical project management, visit us at sensiblepm.com.